0: How you all doing this morning? I'll tell you, I've had more than I said about me this morning than I have in the past two years of going to church here. So I think I should get ordained every week. How does that sound? <laughs> I'm just teasing. What a pleasure it is for me to be here uh, this morning to speak to you. I want to take you back, before we really get diving deep into what we want to talk about today, I want to take you guys back to 1981 some of you younger folks were like, "Uh, was that this century? No, it wasn't. It was actually the last century, 1981. I was uh, about eight years old. And I was in a small country church, a vacation Bible school in a small country church in Kinderhook, Michigan. My brother, who was six years older than I was, uh, was leading our Sunday school class. And I felt the call at that moment to give my life over to Christ. And I told my brother, I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this. And so he brought the pastor down, and we had our discussion. And in that moment, I gave my life to Christ. And what was really cool about it is, I remember it vividly. It was a warm summer day. And I remember how the basement of that old church was. And I remember going up the stairs, just so excited. Everyone had already went out to play. And I ran to that playground. And I was so excited. I felt so free and so alive. It is, it is like not even an argument that that was the best day that I've ever had in my entire life. I couldn't wait to tell, tell uh, people about how I had given my life over to Christ. And I will tell you that over the past many years, since then, I've had a lot of joyful times in my life. I married the wife of my, of my dreams. I've had beautiful children. Uh, being able to attend their, their uh, births, being able to see one of them get married and another one soon to be married—I've had a lot of joyous times. I graduated with a degree from uh, Spring Arbor University in youth ministry. Great time of celebration. I was able to graduate from Asbury Seminary with my master's degree in divinity. Great time of celebration. I got to meet David Kibler. Great time of celebration. Okay, maybe not so much. But we're working on that. But along, my, along the times of my life, there have been people who have stepped in and have led me throughout the time of my growth as a Christian, as a person. I remember Pastor Ron Jake, the pastor who, who came down and explained to me the, the commitment that I was making that, that morning about what it meant in my eight-year-old mind, to follow Christ. I remember my Sunday school teacher, Tammy Stuck, who I made cry one time because we got into an argument. I was misbehaving so much in Sunday school class that I made the poor woman cry. Uh, If you're watching, Tammy, I apologize for that. I remember Pastor Thurm Payton. When I was a young man, about 23, 24, and then we had our oldest son, uh, he saw something in that young man, that young father. He saw potential. And he and the senior pastor at the time, Cecil Sanders, poured into me. It was him that first said, have you ever considered going into ministry? And I had thought all those, the, those years ago that that was something I wanted to do. And so it encouraged me to step out in faith. I remember, you know, just times of, of people just stepping in and being part of it. And as we go through this this morning, I want you guys to think through, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, I hope that there's been somebody who spoke truth into your life. Because what we're speaking about this morning is discipleship. Discipleship is so important when it comes to growing as a Christian. As our main thing is, uh, says today, that our church should be not just a mile wide and an inch deep. No, our church needs to be a mile wide and a mile deep. I have with me something important today. Uh, this book. I actually have a newer version of this book, but I got this book many years ago uh, when my dad passed away. I was 18 years old. And this is one of the things that I, I got. And in the inside cover, this was given to him by Pastor Ron, who I talked to you about. And in it, he has all these notes in his handwriting. And I've always kept this. Even though I got a newer version, I always kept this because it reminds me of my heritage. It reminds me of my discipleship growing up. It reminds me of every Sunday morning when I was a teenager, you know, dad getting me up in the morning, having Christian music playing in the kitchen as we got ready. It was a non-negotiable that we needed to go to church. And so I thought it was important this morning out of all things to have this here with me as a remembrance of him. We talk about discipleship in our church today. It's not, I would say, not very great. Uh, Pastor and author and professor Greg Ogden, who actually wrote one of my favorite uh, studies called The Essentials of Discipleship, he, he wrote this. He said, if I were to choose one word to summarize the state of discipleship today, that word would be superficial. There appears to be a general lack of comprehension among many who claim Jesus as Savior as to the implications of following him as Lord. He then goes on to write, this superficiality comes into startling focus when we observe the incongruity between the numbers of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ and the lack of impact on the moral and spiritual climate of our times. We have a disconnect between those who claim that they are Christians, followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, and how we act how these christians act. And I think that's something that as we continue to focus on this morning, a lot of that has to stem from the fact that we are very shallow in our faith. We're very shallow in our understanding. We see it all the time. We have people that come to church uh, I've experienced it in all these years. I've, I've led worship and, and been involved in vacation Bible schools and, and led worship youth ministries and that sort of thing. We have people that come to church and they get fired up and they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They step up here and they were baptized, and then a month later you never see them again. Why is that the case? It's almost like we as a church, if we had 50 weddings here today, and all of us attended, and we're celebrating, yes, 50 weddings, but we had 49 divorces. Would not be good, right? So what do we do to combat this? We as a church are called to be a discipling church. We as individuals are called to be discipling individuals. We need to disciple others. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we heard it last week, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't stop there. That verse goes on to say, in teaching them to observe or to obey everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you to the end of the age. We do good with making disciples. We celebrate baptisms, but kind of where we fall short as a church is that last part of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We need to be a discipling church. So to go along with this, there's another gentleman. His name is Chuck Lawless. He's a professor and a church consultant, and he gives 10 results of poor discipleship in the church. Number one, biblical illiteracy. What does that mean? It means we have people in our churches today that can't find the book of Psalms in their Bibles. We have people in our churches today that don't know where Romans is. We have, you know biblical literacy is a very real struggle and because of that we have faith struggles when you don't have biblical literacy you don't know what it means when you go through times of struggle that god himself said in the book of isaiah my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the lord and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine for just as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts We can't go to the book of Psalms where David writes over and over and over again about how, Lord, I don't understand how people who are evil continue to succeed, how people who are evil continue to get get better. And here I am trying to follow you, Lord, and I don't understand why things aren't working out. But at the end of those Psalms, he says, But you, O Lord, are my rock, my salvation. You are my hiding place. You are faithful. Biblical literacy leads to faith struggles. And of course, then we have our inward focus. It's all about me. It's all about how loud this, the music is or the music isn't loud enough or maybe it's not the hymns or maybe it's not enough hymns or maybe it's too many hymns or maybe it's, maybe it's the version you don't like that we're using. These sorts of things. It's all about me. Lost church members, unqualified leaders. Let me t- stop for a second there. I just want to give a call out. You guys know that you guys have some pretty awesome leadership here. I want you to understand that. You have Dave and John, who have been great friends to me, who have have poured themselves into this church. You have a great youth youth minister who's coming along. Jenny is great with the children. I mean, you guys have some good leadership, but it doesn't stop there. You know you guys have a group of elders that pray for you before church every Sunday. And pray for you throughout the week. They seek God's will. They seek God's face for you. I think that's an awesome thing. If there's ever, there, you don't have unqualified leaders here. So I just want to thank these guys, too, for all that they've meant to me as well. Number six, he lists, as continual whiners. Number seven, sin struggles. Number eight, weak families. Weak families are a real, real thing. Uh, I'm going to call out the dads here. Dads, did you know that your family are your first disciples? Moms, you have the example for your children, moms and dads. It's a pretty hefty expectation, but it's important to realize and understand that you're responsible for your child's biblical education. It can be a tough call. Number nine, powerless churches, and number 10, generational problems. Well, we have some problems, right? So it's important for us to understand what we need to do. So what is, what is discipleship? All right, what is discipleship? This is deep, okay? I'm going to use all the years of my seminary education. I'm going to use all the thousands and thousands of dollars that I poured toward my, my Asbury Seminary education. I'm going to tell you what discipleship, okay? Are you ready? You guys need to write this down. It's helping other people follow Christ closer. Wow. I know, right? Right? I'm so glad I took all those classes in Greek and Hebrew to be able to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Discipleship is just a process of helping somebody follow closer to Christ. So what does that mean? There needs to be somebody who is helping the the younger Christians, those who are younger, to become closer to Jesus and to be more like Him. So number one, I want to give you just a few things today of what discipleship is. And I hope this helps. Number one, discipleship is a calling. Much like Jesus called his disciples, we're also called to follow Christ. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus calls his first disciples by saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are too called today. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, Paul writes, for this very reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his comparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. We're called, discipleship is a calling. It's not a calling that's just for for Dave or John or any other pastors in the United States. It's not just our job, it's your job as well. It's something that God has called you to do. I remember Yoda telling Luke this. Passed on what you have learned. I thought that was a pretty good impersonation for a Sunday morning. Thank you very much. Passed on what you have learned. Guys, as Christians, we need to pass on the things we have learned. We need to pass on the stories of the times that we have struggled. We need to pass on the times that God has been good to us. Just like I can go back and I can tell you, the people who have stepped into my lives and helped me along the path and helped me along the way, maybe you're that person that needs to step into somebody else's life, needs to step into somebody else's path and help them learn and help them to grow and help them to be the all that God wants them to be. Number two, discipleship is intentional. You heard this verse again last week, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, that doesn't just talk about Sunday mornings. Honestly, if all we did is meet together on Sunday mornings and heard a 30-minute, 40-minute sermon, it's not enough. And trust me, it takes a lot to get up here and prepare it really does. It takes a lot of, of practice and study and that sort of thing to make sure that what we are preaching up here aligns with God, what God wants us to say. But it's not enough. If all you're relying on is a Sunday morning, we need to go deeper. Then we, because otherwise, we are going to be that mile wide and an inch deep. Number two, or along with that, Second Timothy three ten through 17 you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hey, guess What? The Christian life doesn't mean everything is going to be rosy and happy and you're, you're, you're going to go outside and birds are going to be singing. And it's not like that. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue, be intentional, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Discipleship, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is intentional. It can't, it's not something that happens by accident. It really isn't. We need to be intentional in that. We need to be intentional to reach out to those that we may say, you know what, um, why don't you and I get together? Why don't, we, why don't we get together? Maybe we can have lunch and just talk about things of how things are going and, and of the scriptures. I, I know that there are many of us who have had people that have done that in our lives, who've taken us alongside. Pastor Thurm Payton is somebody that I'll always appreciate. Like I said earlier, he's the guy who saw that young father, that young husband, and said, I see potential in you. He and I used to meet for breakfast every once a week in Mason, Michigan, a little small little cafe. And that's exactly what we would talk about. We would talk about, okay, how are you doing today, Tim? How are you doing this week? How's your walk with Christ? What is God teaching you? And then we would have a time of, of just hanging out and a time in the Word. We would end it in prayer. I'm telling you, there were little that affected me that much. And, and I'll always uh, appreciate him because there was a time when I had some health issues. I had to have surgery. And my wife and I owned a house in Lansing. And I went through a dark time. That, that dark night of the soul kind of thing where I was questioning, is this really what I want to be? Is this really what I want to do? I remember we had to sell our house That's how bad it got financially. And I love that house. I love the backyard. But we had to sell the house. And I remember telling my wife, man, it's not fair. I don't understand what God is doing here. It's not fair that I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I was teaching middle school students in Sunday school class. I was leading worship on Sunday mornings. I was doing everything that I felt like God wanted me to do. I was memorizing Scripture. I was in the Word. And here it is. I'm losing my house. It's not fair. And I'll never forget, she called him and she said, You need to get together with this guy. And he pulled me aside. And it was because of that relationship I had, he intentionally reached out to me and helped me be the man who I am. Number three, di- discipleship is relational. I hope through my stories that you're starting to understand that it's about relationship. How many times have you tried to go up to somebody you didn't know and give them suggestions, and they turn around and they like, you don't know me. It's got to be this relationship where you get to know somebody, and they feel free and comfortable in talking to you about what's going on. When, when, when it's discipleship being relational, we need to make sure that we're having that relationship with each other. And that happens through time, and it happens for getting to know one another. Jesus with his disciples had a relationship, right, with his, with his disciples. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 through 17. Jesus is giving all these parables, and the disciples' minds are just blown. And so they go up to him. Verse 10, he says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. There are other instances in Scripture where Jesus pulls aside his disciples and said, Listen, I'm going to give you the inside stuff. I'm going to help you understand I'm going to help you get it. And it's because of the relationship that he had with his disciples. He was willing to go that extra mile. And number four, discipleship is long-term. I will tell you that throughout all these times, so I graduated with a, a youth ministry degree in 2010, graduated with my Master's of Divinity in 2019. Uh, I was also involved in high school in this thing called a quiz team. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. Maybe some of, guys, some of the older guys knew about this. There was actually little pads on that they would tape onto uh, chairs, and they were, they were led to this box. And so what you would do is you would sit on this chair, and they would ask a question. And the first person who would jump, the light would light up, and they would say, okay, Tim uh, from this church, uh, what's the answer? And so we went through this book of Matthew, and I, I studied that book of Matthew really good, really well. There were like four or five churches. We were one of the best quiz teams that year uh, because I was really good, too, about getting up off the seat. Uh, I pretended it was an electrical jolt that was going to get me if I didn't get up fast enough. So I thought I knew my stuff. And then I went to college for biblical ministries, and I went to my first class class, And quickly realized I knew nothing. These professors were speaking, I mean they were speaking English but it might have been Latin to me because I didn't understand what they were talking about. So I studied harder and then I got to seminary and I thought I knew a lot because I was a youth pastor for for eight years, youth and worship pastor for eight years. I studied the scriptures and then I went to my first uh, inductive study of Matthew with David Bauer and that dude Blew my mind. I thought, there's no way I'm going to graduate if this is what it's going to be. This guy went from Matthew over here to Romans, back to Ezekiel, over here to Isaiah, and he, like, put it all together. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this guy's pretty smart. You see, no matter how far you go in your life, you'll never know everything. That means we need to continually study. It's long-term. Second Timothy four, one through five said this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, I will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. He's encouraging them keep going, don't stop, continue to be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared to evangelize, to preach, to tell other people about what God has done for you. Don't stop. I love it in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Paul writes to the Ephesian church. He said, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we each... We all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and every, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ." From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting lib- ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each, as each part does its work. The word I want you to focus in that is grow. We're all part of the body of Christ. Scripture says some of us are different parts of the body. We all have different gifts and we all work together to grow. We encourage one another. We build, ourselves, build each other up in love and good works And in faith together. Well, God, or Tim, I'm not God. Thank God I'm not God. Tim, that that sounds great, but I'm a little nervous. I hear this sometimes from people. uh, I don't know how to lead anybody to Christ, Uh, I don't know enough to go out and disciple somebody. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I know this can seem like heavy marching orders for our church because it requires more than just celebrating a baptism on Sunday morning. We need those who are further down the road in their faith walk to take along those who are younger in our faith and teach them about the way, the truth, and the life and to teach them what it means to be a Christian and how to follow after Christ. I know this can be a daunting idea for some of you because we don't feel qualified to lead it. But what I want us to do is go back to Matthew chapter 28. And I want us to go back one more verse to verse 18. See, in verse 19, it says, go therefore. And I had a professor once say that whenever you see the word therefore, you need to go back and find out why that therefore is therefore. Okay? So (laughs) verse 18 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, because of this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You're not doing it in your power. You're not doing it in your knowledge. You're not doing it in your might because the power of God is behind you. My life verse is this, Joshua 1.9. It says, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you know that? Can you rest in that knowledge and in that power that no matter where you go, no matter what you say, that the Lord God is with you wherever you go. And he will give you the words to say. Don't wait until you think that you're a scholar in biblical education to take somebody under your wing and help them become all that God wants them to be. Amen? Thank you.